Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is Primetime Politics, the Vote 2019 edition for day 38 of the election campaign. In just three days from now, Canadians will decide their next government at the ballot box. And as the countdown continues, the campaign gets more bitter with the prospect of a minority parliament at the end of the night Monday. Our party commentators will be here on a day when we get a better idea of how the voters are paying more attention to policy than personalities, according to a new survey. And we'll take a closer look at battleground British Columbia and one riding in Vancouver where the Minister of Defence is involved in a nasty battle to hang on. But first, the Day 38 campaign primer. We are only three days away from Canadians finally having their say on Justin Trudeau's last four years as Prime Minister. Conservative leader Andrew Scheer began the day in Fredericton, New Brunswick. All 10 seats went Liberal in this province as part of an Atlantic red wave the last time. But New Brunswick is much more competitive this time around for Conservatives and a rising Green Party. The polls suggest the Conservatives could win as many as five seats in this province, and Fredericton is one of them. Scheer is doubling down on his warnings that a possible Liberal NDP coalition in a minority parliament will result in big tax hikes and issued a challenge to the Liberal leader in the final days of the campaign. They will have to do something to pay for these massive deficits. Uh, raising the GST may be one of, uh, you know, is one option. They may raise other taxes. And that is why I say Justin Trudeau needs to have the guts to tell Canadians immediately which tax hikes he will implement, which policies of the NDP he will accept in order to stay in power. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I know you are. I know you are. Hey, everyone. The Liberal leader campaigned in ridings outside the city of Toronto where Liberals need to hold seats or win new ones to have a shot at holding government Monday night. Justin Trudeau visited supporters in Whitby in a riding left open after the Liberal MP Selena Cesar Chavin quit the party to sit as an independent and said her decision to leave politics was met with hostility by Justin Trudeau. Trudeau was asked to respond to Scheer's claims about a high-cost Liberal NDP coalition. Those claims are entirely untrue. It is unfortunate that the Conservatives keep having to make up attacks against us. But all they're offering is cuts. Cuts four times greater than Doug Ford's. So perhaps that's all they can do, is make things up. We are focused on making life more affordable for Canadians, on fighting climate change, and on getting guns off our streets. The trees in here that we're going to see soon are, are a thousand years old. The NDP leader campaigned on Vancouver Island, where New Democrats hold five of the seven seats, but face a tough battle against mostly the Greens. In Port Alberni, Singh apologized for saying yesterday that he did not respect Conservatives when he says he meant to say he's critical of their policies. And today he went on to criticize Andrew Scheer's warnings of a big-spending Liberal NDP coalition. I think people can, can tell from the repeated desperate attempts to misinform Canadians that Mr. Mr. Scheer is getting desperate and that he's trying to make up things to scare people because our message of hope is working. People are wanting to vote out of hope. They want to vote for something, not against something. Jagmeet Singh repeated his position that the NDP will never cooperate with the Conservatives if they finish with the most seats in a minority parliament. 
but he did hit at one of the key requirements for his support if the Liberals win a minority, the cancellation of the Trans Mountain pipeline expansion. I am fully opposed to the Trans Mountain. I've been opposed to it. I will continue to be opposed to it. Our commitment on one of our priorities was the environment, and that's a crucial part of our commitment to reducing our emissions, to stopping the Trans Mountain pipeline, to ending fossil fuel subsidies. So this is something we're going to continue to fight for. Absolutely. Yes. And that's the kind of day it's been. Day 38 of the campaign. Just three more days before voting day. So more talk of minority parliaments today and more attacks between the leaders over what Canadians uh, would get with a Conservative government or a Liberal NDP coalition is what the big warning is. Let's bring in our panel of party commentators to discuss the latest developments today. Susan Smith is a Liberal commentator. Ashton Arsenault is a Conservative commentator and Robin McLaughlin is an NDP commentator. Good to see you all. Thanks Thanks together again we are. <laughs> Three more days to Almost go. There. Three more days to go, yeah. and then who knows what yeah. after that. Yeah. Ashton, let me start with you. Uh, Andrew Shears on the campaign trail today warning about the consequences of a Liberal NDP coalition, higher taxes, big hike in the GST, $40 billion uh, deficits, uh, and yet no GST hike has ever been mentioned by either of these parties, the NDP or the Liberals. So, you know, why is he saying it? It's an illustration of what Canadians can't afford. We all know that if Justin Trudeau uh, manages to eke out a, min a minority, excuse me, and doesn't step down, effectively at that point he'll be held over a barrel hostage by Jagmeet Singh and the NDP. What will Jagmeet Singh and the NDP want? More uh, more of their programs put into place, more spending, which is going to lead to higher deficits, bigger debt. Canadians can't afford it. Simple as that. Susan, what's happening here? I think it's fear mong. I think it actually smacks of desperation on the part of the Conservatives. I think Andrew Scheer is nervous and he's defaulting to, I'm going to make a whole bunch of stuff up. And I think Canadians see through that kind of stuff. You you said it yourself, there has never been a mention of a GST. And I think he's, he's standing there at the microphone, fear mongering, creating scenarios that do not and will not exist. And I think Canadians are going to see through it. They're not going to buy that. And I think that adds on to the negative narrative that the Conservatives have had throughout the campaign. And it's not so much about how they would bring the, the country forward, it's what they would be doing to pull the country But you back. don't get somebody to prop you up, uh, and I use that term loosely, you don't get somebody to, to support your uh, leadership, your government in a minority parliament, unless there's some kind of a trade-off. You, sure. you have to give them something. Of course, so, but you first have to have a minority parliament, right. so we need to get through to that but scenario. But is, is it unreasonable to assume that if Jagmeet Singh were to support Justin Trudeau in a minority parliament, that there wouldn't be some demand of programs the NDP, he's already said what his six priorities are, uh, to, to prop up a, 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 a Liberal government, because he's not going to do it with the Conservatives. Won't there be cost consequences to that? I think the, uh, well, first of all, we have to see what the election outcome is. We, there may be, I don't know, a majority that squeaks through. It will likely be a minority, though. I think there will be some trade-offs. Uh, but I think the, the issue is the, the Liberal platform and the NDP platform, there is common ground, though not common spending target, targets and common practicality on that. And I think practicality always wins out. You can't, you have to look at what the dollars and cents are of that, and I think that's what will prevail. The other thing is, um, if there is a, co a, a minority government situation, there's a back and forth, uh, the NDP don't want to go back to the polls anytime soon. So wherever compromise gets uh, put together, we'll, um, they, they can bargain, but they can only bargain so right, much. Robin, let's, let's have you weigh in on this. Are there necessarily cost consequences to uh, a, a liberal minority government, if that's what we were to get supported? by the NDP. 
Love all these hypotheticals. Yeah, it's well, look at it. That's kind of the. Uh, we got three days to talk about all of them. But yeah. uh, look, so Jagmeet Singh took a very responsible approach, I think, in being transparent with Canadians that this is what you get when you vote for the NDP. And you've seen him this campaign. He's authentic. He's been tenacious in how he's campaigned. And he's saying, I'm going to bring that same energy and determination to Parliament, regardless of what shape Parliament takes. And these are the six priorities I'm going to fight for dental care, pharmacare, student debt, uh, the climate crisis. Uh, and you talked about cost. Well, he's going to say, put on the table a wealth tax. And that's saying that the super wealth, the, the super wealthy right. among us, their fortunes are going to get taxed just a little bit more, those with more than $20 million. So if you want to talk about cost, the NDP is also putting on the table how we can be responsible in paying for the things that Canadians need to make life more affordable and to uh, create the more equal society we're looking for. Right, but I, but I guess what, uh, let's, you're right, we're in this hypothetical world, but uh, we're in it. So, you know, at, at what, what's he prepared to give up, Jagmeet Singh, to not have another election and to support a liberal government. He, he makes these, gives us these six priorities. One, one of them he reinforced today: uh, no expansion of the Trans Mountain pipeline. That mm -hmm. seems to be a line that he's not prepared to, to cross. And so much liberal capital has been invested in that that how could Justin no, Trudeau say? Peter, it's our capital, Canadians' capital. Yes, it's, that, our, that it's our money. It's that Canadians' too. political money capital. Invested. How could Justin Trudeau say yes to that? We're going to cancel the expansion of the pipeline. Well, I think he would be actually listening to the Canadians that have been offended by that, to the, the, the youth uh, marching in our streets. Uh, uh, those are the people that he's, he's listening to if he did that. Look, I'm, I don't think it's responsible to get into the hypotheticals about what would be taken off the table or, or, or not. Uh, Jagmeet Singh's put forward the priorities. Uh, you can interpret that to be that if there was a minority situation, that's what he would bring to the table. Um, I think what he said Well, that's is important. That let me, I don't mean to interrupt, but let me start yeah. there. So, when, when, so for people watching, because I mean, let's, let's get into the weeds a little bit, because our, our viewers don't mind the weeds. So, uh, I mean, how much of that is, is campaign rhetoric? Like, I'll stand for this stuff. And then you get in a, in a room when it's time to talk about, well, do you want an election or do you want to support me or risk another election and the other guy's winning? So these are things I'll push for or these are things I demand for my support? Yeah, I think, I hate to say it, I think they're yeah. taking the wrong frame to that. I mean, I, what he said is that he's a fighter, and these are the things I'm going to fight for for you, because these are the priorities I know you care about. That's going to be in Parliament, uh, in government, uh, he's still running for government, or that's perhaps in a minority situation, he's signaling to Canadians, these are the things that I'm going to take because I know they're your priorities, uh, to ensure that this Parliament focuses on these issues. Beyond that, uh, you know, we're not going to know until after the election, and uh, I think it, it's a little bit irresponsible to... Yeah. Uh, Ashton, what do, you think, what do you think listening to this? <laughs> yeah, look, whenever you talk about the NDP and or the Liberals doing negotiations, it always leads to the same thing. It always leads to increased spending, and they've got to find some way to come up with that money, and that leads to increased taxation. It's a song and dance that we've played over and over yes, and have. over again like in this country, both pensions, at the provincial level, insurance. the federal level. It's gone These on and on and on. Over and the, the only 50, reason, 60 years, the things that we've gotten from those negotiations are our Medicare system, our pension system, employment insurance, investments in housing, Unending that deficits. is from progressive Unending cooperation debt. in Parliament. Interest payments that are spiraling out of control, and Canadians that are going to be saddled in future generations because we don't know how to responsibly manage our budget. So right. the economists aren't taking their lessons from the Conservative platform and the Conservative approach. The Liberals have invested in the last four years in infrastructure in the country, and that's um, that's created economic growth. They've also invested in, in Canada Child Benefit for Families, and that's lifted people out of poverty. People are working. Things are getting built in this country, and there's more plans for that. The, the conservative approach actually is going to cut 
infrastructure. So what the, the Liberals approach has been is to invest in the economy, boost the debt, um, bo sorry, boost the um, boost economic growth, reduce the debt to GDP ratio, and get, keep the economy hum, humming, and the economists like it. And this is what the approach is the liberals, liberals are putting forward. It's always been practical and pragmatic with, end, with positive end results. That's in stark contrast to what the Conservatives are going to do are cut. They're going to cut that investment, cut that expenditure, and cut jobs. But no, there's no difference in the infrastructure spend at all, Susan. That's there actually is. You that, guys that, are, you that's false. We're going to take the same amount of money pushed more. out over three right. years. Correct. Three extra years, 15 Correct. instead 15 of 12. Years. Okay. Over a longer those, runway. Yeah, but that's those are communities that aren't going to get those projects. Those are people who aren't going to have those jobs. That's money that's not going to be injected into the economy. Can't drive growth by cutting spending. We're gonna we learned that. We're going to inject money into the economy by putting more money in people's pockets. It's that simple. We'll let them make the choice. You guys, well, the, the choice under you guys is a, a whole bunch of micro-targeted -target, targeted things. Poor people, families who need a Canada Child Benefit or people who are in poverty don't have money for arts tax credits. What you guys have put forward is, is exceptionally... But, but, but exception. the Liberals have been fair. The Liberals have had micro-targeted tax cuts too. Camping. Adoptive parents, like people take their kids camping. camping. I mean, but what the Liberals have done more quickly than anybody actually ever predicted is get 300,000 kids out of poverty. And that's the that's the, a trajectory that's going to continue to go forward if the Liberal government comes in with the programs that they've got and the proposals Can they've I, put in place. Minority situation because while I don't wait think a minute, I thought you didn't want to do. No, this. I love talking about minorities. I actually do. <laughs> you do but now. but I, what I don't think it is is saying what comes off the table, what goes on the table. But what what's really important that if we are in a minority situation, and I I think everybody that's ever watched the shows knows I'm not a big fan of our electoral system, but. What it, the message that's been sent to Parliament is not that we want to give every, one party and their platform all the power. What they're saying is, look, cooperate. Find that commonality that Canadians have sent to, to, to the House of Commons and work on that. So there, is, there are commonalities between the Liberals and the and New Democrats and the Greens. Uh, I think the Conservatives are in a tougher spot in that they don't necessarily have a partner, uh, to, and they shouldn't if they get uh, a minority of seats because, you know, it, Nobody who gets 35% of the popular vote should be making 100% of the decisions. So, well, this when, is it, this and minorities have produced some of the best social programs we have in this country. This I said it before, Medicare, pensions, employment insurance, investments, and housing. So that comes from cooperation, and it's a signal that no party should take, I'm not well, going to budge on my priorities to the table. This is interesting. Last February, New Democrat uh, members at the convention voted that proportional representation must be a demand uh, in a minority to support another minority, to support another gum, uh, party in a minority parliament. So presumably that will be this. Well, the Liberals have a fantastic record on electoral reform. Uh, no, well, that's See, I it. I agree with Ashton on that. Yeah, okay, but so according to party policy, if, if this happens, mm -hmm. Jagmeet Singh will have to go to Justin Trudeau and say, look, you gotta, you got to do the proportional representation yeah. thing or you, I'm not supporting you. And you know, there's a reason for that because this election, and I say this with my backup because nothing bothers me more than Liberals saying, oh my God, Andrew Scheer is so scary, you have to vote for us because he might get in because our electoral system doesn't work perfectly. Ashton's right. They said they'd fix it. They didn't. Absolutely electoral form is something that Jagmeet Singh's focused on, uh, but it is true that it's a give and take in a, a minority situation. Party, party cooperation means nobody gets everything they want, and, and that's what the, pro the, the posture you have to take. It's kind of, that's kind of where we've come in the campaign, right? I mean, it's not, the Conservatives are being uh, jumped on today for you know making these suggestions. The Liberals are denying it. There's not going to be a GST hike. Been but, making stuff up. Those aren't suggestions. Well, hang on. But but <laughs> but Justin Trudeau is a couple of days ago is back in New Brunswick, uh, still 
talking about the Andrew Shear abortion thing, saying Andrew, even though Andrew Shear says I'm not reopening the debate, not going to restrict access. Justin Trudeau still not going to stop my still, uh, my still talking about how he's still so. talking about how he's not. If only he had been a prime minister for four years and had a liberal premier in New Brunswick where he could have done something about it. Wait a minute, that happened, didn't it? No, I think the level. Well, no, at, but the, uh, but under Brian Gallant's government in, 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 in New Brunswick, nothing. this issue was was the same in New Brunswick at the yep. time. There was, no, there was no out of clinic abortion funding. And it didn't get fixed. But going to what Shear has been saying and the approach the Conservatives have been taking, I mean, they are targeting um, Chinese language communities and Chinese language media with false information with regards to they're trying to say, they're trying to claim yeah, that capital the Liberals are going to capital gains tax, that the Liberals are going to legalize. Drugs. It's ridiculous. It's actually a lie. And then today, out on the, uh, on the hustings, you know, he's practically pounding the pulpit, saying, Shear's practically pounding the pulpit, saying, GST, HST. It's not true. It's blatantly not true. And I think it's insulting to Canadians that the, that Shear, and it's very unprime ministerial, quite frankly, that he would take that approach. But to the point, I mean, these, these ads about legalizing drugs, where's the evidence that the Liberals are going to legalize yeah, drugs? Why? They've well, said they have, they're not going to. Well, he suggested decriminalization first and foremost. But secondly, I wanted to well, address capital he gains said, tax. I don't know how many times in the last six months he said we're not legalizing anything else except cannabis. That was circulated online, which Adam Bond had to walk back. And secondly, no, with respect, that's not from, true. with respect to spending from a general, you had to pull the ad. It was so dumb. You guys had to pull the ad because it was and a lie. So, and here's what liberals won't admit. If you have to team up with the NDP, if you can't get a majority done, which we all know that you will not succeed in, you will have to give them something. And what are you going to give them? Probably platform universal pharmacare. And you're going to have to raise taxes to do it. No, Canadians aren't stupid. No, Where are you finding the money? Where are you finding the money? I have a couple of ideas. Where are you finding the money? If, uh, if you here's another twenty million people if, if you sitting on twenty it, millions of dollars, maybe they should pay some tax on that. What do we watch for in the next three days here? I mean, more of the same. I think this is. I, I'm not sure what voters think uh, if, when the last few days of the campaign is all about. This is about. It's back to not. vote for somebody you like. It's vote whoever for whoever you like least. That's I think it's all about end game messaging. So it is really important because uh, you want your leaders tour and your ad campaign to resonate with the voters. So what do you want them to think about when they go to the ballot box? For the NDP and Jagmeet Singh, uh, he knows he's fighting against the fear mongering from conservatives saying there's going to be a coalition a boogeyman that's going to you know, you know, steal your money. And the liberals are saying you have to vote for liberal, it's the only option for you. What he's saying is like neither the liberals or the conservatives own your vote. Vote for what you believe in. Have the courage to vote for something you believe in. I'm a fighter and I'm going to fight for you. Uh, and obviously the other parties are going to have different end game messages that compete with that. Ashton and Susan. Affordability, affordability, affordability. Um, on, on Robin's point about we're going to steal your money, now they're too shameless to admit that. What they're going to do is they're, gonna need, they're needlessly going to waste and squander it. And frankly, a liberal and NDP coalition is a government that Canadians cannot afford. And we'll be stressing that message over the next three days. So a million new jobs, 54,000 jobs in the last month, 300,000 people out of poverty. Uh, trade deals. The tra there's a solid liberal track record from an economic perspective. Uh, but I think what Mr. Trudeau is going to be talking about is um, what kind of the, the decision you make on Monday is about the country you want in the next four years, but also the next 50 years. And do you want to go forward? Do you want to keep making progress, or do you want to go backwards? And I think th that's hopefully something that people will be thinking about. But I expect a lot of rallies, a lo all the parties oh. trying to get as many people as they can, all trying to show any kind of momentum all that they can right build. There's a liberal bus outside ready to take you to BC for the next rally, <laughs> I think. It's a long ride. <laughs> and it'll be all here on CPAC all weekend long. And, and you'll be back. Monday night. Monday night. Monday night. As we watch the results come in. And we'll see you all then. Thanks Great. again. Thanks, Peter. Thanks.
Well, the latest horse race polls haven't changed. The Liberals and Conservatives are still essentially tied at the top, but each has less than the support of one-third of Canadians. So it appears we are still headed for a minority parliament on Monday night. And we certainly have a good idea of the messaging coming from the party leaders in the final days of the campaign, so we know what's driving them. But today, we have some more insight on what will determine where voters land when it comes time to mark the ballot on Monday. Shachi Curl is the executive director of the Angus Reid Institute. She joins me from Vancouver. Great to see you again. Thanks for being here. Hey, Peter. How are you? You've done some drill down on the competition between personalities and platforms in this campaign. What do voters see as the top issues during this election? Depends on who those voters are. Uh, on one hand of the political spectrum, on the left side of the political spectrum, those top issues include action on climate change, affordability, and then also um, uh, 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 access to health care. So those are the three big ones for uh, folks on the left side of the political spectrum. If you're on the right side of the political spectrum, it's a whole different set of top issues. It has to do with taxation deficit spending, ethics and transparency in government. And so that is why I think you've seen so much fracture on the campaign trail between uh, the two main parties, particularly between Andrew Scheer and the Conservatives and Justin Trudeau and the Liberals, really sort of talking often past each other and to their own bases. The only area where the two of them have really tried to compete head to head is on affordability, because that is some, to some extent, the Venn diagram uh, the, the middle part of it, uh, where both sides see that they can pick up votes. What's interesting, though, Peter, is in research that we've just released today, Friday, um, is that when it comes to party preference, we find that declared supporters of certain parties are actually not in step or at odds with their own party's platforms on issues such as Taxation. In the case of personal taxation policy, we find that 50% of conservative voters, people who say, yes, I'm going to vote conservative, are also saying, even though they don't know it's liberal policy, I actually like the liberal policy better. What we did was put policies in front of voters, um, didn't say whose policies there were, just said, which one do you like best? Conservatives seem to like liberal tax policy best. Uh, NDPers seem to like liberal pharmacare best. A, a, a fifth of NDP and Green voters would prefer to scrap the carbon tax. So you see all of this cognitive dissonance between what voters say they want versus who they intend to vote for. And it just continues to muddy what has been a very muddled vote dynamic in this campaign. All right, let's drill down a little bit on some of these. So let me walk you through some of the things you, you asked about. Uh, mm -hmm. What do they think about the party's pharmacare promises? Where do they land on that? Because that's a big issue in this campaign. Well, you see some division between uh, people saying that they either like the Liberal Pharmacare Plan or the NDP Pharmacare Plan. Uh, what's notable is, again, a significant number of Conservative voters who say, yes, I'm absolutely locked in for Andrew Scheer, are saying, you know, when it comes to pharmacare, I, I like that Liberal plan. I like the plan of making uh, medicine more affordable. That doesn't surprise me entirely. A lot of uh, conservative voters tend to skew older in terms of their age demographics and costs of um, prescription drugs are certainly things that'll be on their minds too. So here you have a party uh, that isn't really offering pharmacare, but is picking up votes uh, from, from people who are expressing that they'd like to have it. What, what about pipelines? That's been, become an issue too. The wider sort of energy policy uh, 
platform issues and pipelines uh, come up a lot. So what do people think about pipelines? Should we continue to build them and push to build them? Well, that is a really interesting one because it just conveys how little consensus there is in this country on the pipeline issue. Uh, you've got a third saying that government needs to push harder to get pipelines done. A third saying, uh, actually, right now, the balance that, that the Trudeau government has put forward over the last uh, four years of, yes, let's win the TMX pipeline, but let's also have carbon taxation. Let's also not necessarily be in a rush to approve other pipelines as the right approach. And then you've got a third of the country saying no pipelines ever scrap them, kill them, don't do them. And, and hasn't that been a huge part of the narrative in this country over the last four years, Peter, and, and longer, arguably, um, and an area where we're, again, not seeing a lot of agreement, but quite a bit of even division on it. All right, carbon tax. Uh, Andrew Shearer says job one. Uh, if he wins a, a, any form of government, he'll, he'll uh, as soon as he can, he will kill the carbon tax, the federal carbon tax, before January 1st. Uh, is he on the side of Canadians on that? What did you find? Uh, well, he's certainly on the side of his base, and he knows it. There's a reason he talks um, really clearly and emphasizes constantly uh, scrapping the carbon tax. It's because the Conservative base absolutely wants that to happen, and you see huge majorities of Conservative voters uh, also saying, yes, this is the right approach to make. Uh, what I would point out, though, is you've got significant numbers of both Liberal voters and, indeed, NDP and Green voters who are also saying, yeah, scrap carbon tax. So whether they're saying that because they don't believe it's the right approach or they don't think it'll make a difference or because nobody really likes paying taxes, again, it's just one of those moments uh, where you see you're able to sort of peer right into the hearts of voters and understand really where they're coming from, what their priorities are, what they prefer and not prefer, and how that lines up with party policies. All right, let's finish on this. This has become sort of a defining message now if you're, if you're trying to choose between uh, essentially the, the Conservatives or the Liberals or what might end up being shaped in a minority parliament. And that's when it, spending social programs and deficits. Let's talk about, finish on that. What do Canadians prefer? Do they want cuts to the deficit? Do they want balanced books? Or do they want continued spending and program uh, spending? Again, that's one of those ones that falls out really depending on where you sit on the political spectrum. If you lean conservative and you're locked in for the conservatives, you are absolutely in lockstep with the conservative party on that issue. Move towards balancing the budget, uh, move towards reducing deficit spending, move towards uh, less taxation overall. If you are someone who is on the left-hand side of the political spectrum, you're more for uh, doubling down on that social spending as long as it's something that that uh, the Canadian economy can bear and continue to, to, to shoulder the burden of. Um, but again, an interesting one on personal taxation, um, you find that, again, uh, conservatives are more inclined to uh, appreciate or say they they want to see the liberal approach to personal taxation, uh, which has more to do with not taxing a certain level up to to uh, minimum income threshold, rather than reducing personal taxes for the lowest income earners. So uh, again, uh, one of those situations where I think if if readers uh, and and voters were really to dig into party platforms, it might give them moment for pause. But Peter, as you and I know, this has not been a campaign that's really focused on substantive issues. It's been one that appears to have focused on almost everything but. All right, uh, Shachi Curl, uh, always good to talk to you. Thanks for your time today, and we'll talk again. It's my pleasure. Take care.
Both the NDP leader Jagmeet Singh and Green Party leader Elizabeth May campaigned on Vancouver Island today, where all of the seven seats except for the one held by the Green Party leader are shaping up as close races. British Columbia, with its 42 ridings, may well decide who wins on Monday night because that province is expected to feature some very close three-way races, vote splits, and maybe some surprises on election night. What should we be watching for? Sanjay Drum is the undergraduate program chair and senior lecturer at Simon Fraser University in Burnaby. He joins me now. Professor Dram, uh, thanks for joining me today. Good to see you. Why could BC play such a key role on election night? So I think you've already covered that. There's a lot of races that are, as of now, considered toss-ups. And a lot of those, we do have these three-way races where, you know, an example like uh, Port Moody Coquitlam, where it's we could have any three of the major parties winning that seat, uh, and it's an equal equal possibility. I mean, the, the NEP have sort of have made some gains in recent days, and some of those ridings that were close, they seem to be sort of pulling ahead, at least on the kind of polls we have. Uh, but still, there, there could be a, a lot of... The landscape in BC could be a lot different than it was in the last, uh, in this parliament than it was in the last one. Give us the latest a snapshot of the political landscape in BC. Who's up? Who's down? Uh, what's been moving there? So what's been moving is that we're seeing the, much like in Ontario, I think especially in some of the Toronto ridings, we've seen the same sort of change where some ridings that were considered uh, more likely liberal or safe liberal have changed um, and to, to NDP. So, and especially some of the ones that the Liberals expected to make gains in. So Vancouver Kingsway is an interesting one where we, you know, the expectation was that the Liberals would contest that seat. But the NDP in recent polling has shown to sort of pulling away in that one. So, uh, and that's indicative of quite a few. So I do think that um, the NDP seems to have made a lot of gains uh, in important ridings here recently. What's been hurting the fortunes of the Liberals? I guess the the continued attention to the Trans Mountain Pipeline uh, has certainly hurt them, and the a more kind of defiant sort of feeling in some of the Metro Vancouver ridings, is that especially where the pipeline goes through, that you know this is not something that they want. The risks are too great, and I think that both the NDP and the Greens have been you know beating that drum, and that's making some. It's certainly uh, turning some heads and changing some minds. Is there still? Uh... I mean, we're going back a ways now, but is there still followed for the party over the, the, the whole SNC-Lavalin affair and, and uh, you know, uh, the way many people view, um, you know, the mistreatment, if I can put it that way, of Jody Wilson-Raybould? Yeah, I, I think that's definitely there. And you can, we definitely see that uh, in the polling that is done in that riding. Obviously, that riding, Vancouver-Granville has received a lot of attention. Uh, and it, right now... Things indicate that Jody Wilson-Raybould would be the, the, the slight favorite there. Uh, and I think that's surprising to a lot of people because a lot of people thought, well, you know, she'd probably get strong support, but ultimately that she would uh, lose that race because people would vote strategically. But as of now, if you were putting your money down, I think that, it, you know, you'd be have a pretty good bet that she's going to pull that riding out. What are the big issues for, for B.C. voters? Definitely the pipeline and affordability are top of mind. Uh, so... We have, obviously, across the metro, Metro Vancouver especially, has uh, an issue with affordability, something that has been eased somewhat in the past year and a half, but still, uh, prices are still out of uh, completely misaligned with incomes here. And something that, you know, some, that's obviously in Toronto, we have that's a similar kind of issue, but it's not something that most of the country experiences. That's something that definitely drives the conversation here. Uh, 
And obviously there's not great understanding in terms of the, the cooperation needed between levels of government to fix that. But the federal parties, especially the NDP, has been willing to, both all the parties have been willing to make statements about this. So because the parties have brought it into the debate, that sort of fueled more public conversation and people are sort of taking seriously, well, which party will help me get in the housing market? Uh, and then in some ridings, it's sort of playing against certain parties, where in the Vancouver South, one of the ridings that we're watching, uh, we're seeing that uh, you know, the Conservative Party is using uh, that message that, hey, the Liberals and NDP are going to you know, tax your housing sale uh, through a higher capital right. gains, and right. this is going to you know, end up losing you money. So it's being used in different ways in different ridings, depending on the demographics. Okay, talk to me about that. What, 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 what is the main messaging from the parties? Is it the same message we're hearing across the country? Or is there, is there a special particular message for voters in B.C.? There's a particular message. I do think that when they come here, afford, housing affordability gets talked about more. I don't. It gets talked about everywhere, but I do think that specific measures, though the different measures that the different parties have. So when we think about the Liberals and the Conservatives, it's mostly a, a, supp a supply side kind of solution. Uh, this idea of trying to, uh, you know, offer more incentives or make it easier for housing uh, for buyers to get in the market, rather than trying to deal with some of the other factors that are driving housing prices here. That being sort of uh, foreign purchases in particular, where the NDP has their proposal is to uh, sort of go that route. So depending on, there has been a clear divide in British Columbia, especially Metro Vancouver, over this issue about what kind of solution uh, should be taken. Uh, and I don't think that's necessarily something the rest of the country uh, sort of ha debate at the same level, this issue of whether supply side versus demand side solutions. Uh, and that's something that the the electorate here is very attuned to. So they're listening um, to those messages. All right, let's finish on this. There's lots of talk around here, certainly, about a liberal NDP coalition. If there's a minority government, that's what the Tories are suggesting is going to happen. Uh, BC has been led by an NDP government propped up by the Greens since 2007. So I guess I'm wondering if the prospect of a minority government in Ottawa with some kind of arrangement, coalition between parties, does that worry a lot of BC voters or are they going... Oh, that's maybe that's the way it's supposed to work. That's what's happening out here. So I think on the progressive side of the spectrum, I actually think that there's a growing number of people uh, concentrated in British Columbia who who want that kind of outcome. So obviously, with there is a conservative base and the, the conservative held ridings in BC, and and there those that messaging is probably resonating and probably uh, mobilizing people. But I do think uh, um, those who are considering, you know, who are voting for either the Greens, the Liberals, or NDP are thinking about those issues. I think it's less of a concern, and in fact, more of a uh, sort of, there's some optimism towards that, that, hey, this could happen, and we could see some of the benefits that we've seen here in terms of a party being checked by another one. I do think that conversation is very, is very important and strong here. All right, lots to look forward to uh, Monday night in British Columbia. Professor Sanjay Jaram, thanks for your time tonight. Appreciate it. And you'll be joining yeah. us for our special coverage uh, during the day on Monday uh, here on CPAC, so I look forward to talking to you then. Look to it. Well, let's stay in Battleground, British Columbia for the next uh, 25 minutes or so, where CPAC is on the ground in the riding of Vancouver South. Now, it's one of the 50 ridings we think will determine the outcome of the election and explain what happened. The Liberal candidate in Vancouver South is no stranger to battle. He's Canada's Minister of Defence, Harjit Sajjan, a former soldier and police detective. But he's in a tough fight against a Conservative candidate looking to reclaim the riding. And as we'll hear, there have been lots of allegations of dirty tricks. Vancouver South is a CPAC riding to watch.
In the final few days before voters go to the polls in Vancouver South, there are signs the campaign is getting ugly. Take, for example, this large sign for Conservative Wei Young. It suddenly popped up on this homeowner's property without his approval. And I understand that you did not approve of this sign going no, up? No, the phone me. Somebody put it automatically. Somebody just put it up there? Yeah. You At don't night know time, who? One white guy came here. Night time. At night? He, yeah. I heard the noise. Tuck, tuck, tuck outside. Even more disturbing is the fact that Liberal candidate Harjeet Sajjan hears racist comments while door knocking, and one of his volunteers recently had her tires slashed outside the campaign office. But when you have hate crimes that are on the rise, the incidents that we have seen, uh, swastikas being painted on cafes, these type of things, we, it's also an opportunity for us to say, why is this happening? Last year, Vancouver had the highest rate of hate crimes reported to police among Canada's biggest cities and there are concerns that racism is finding its way into this election. Some people feel emboldened to say things that they normally wouldn't be acceptable. And, but then other people are looking at it as, wow, could, you know, if, if leaders are willing to do that, are we creating that environment again where our parents and grandparents' generation ha had to go through? And to me, that's scary. Misinformation has also been spread on social media. As the Globe and Mail reported, the Conservatives posted Facebook ads falsely accusing the Liberals of planning to legalize hard drugs like cocaine. That was an announcement, um, a, que a question actually, that Trudeau was asked at a Liberal policy convention in Montreal. They, he was asked, when are you going to be legalizing the, the hard drugs since you're legalizing marijuana? And he said, not yet is what he said. He didn't say, no, I'm not doing it. He said, not yet. Mm -hmm. Well, what's your interpretation? My interpretation, when somebody says not yet, it means there's a big giant maybe and there's a possible yes there. But you literally have lies that are being pushed out there, being pushed out by a party, by being pushed out by candidates, whether it's the capital gains tax, whether, whether the lies about saying the Liberal Party is going to decriminalize hard drugs. Mm -hmm. All of these things that we have outright and said, absolutely not. The media has reported on it, but they continue to do so. Mm -hmm. And to me, that, that is worrisome. Young is also unapologetic for tweeting, watch out Vancouver, voting liberal is voting for up to 50% new capital gains tax they'll levy on any house sale. They propose that they're going to be putting a capital gains tax of up to 50%, up to 50% on our home sales. But and the so, Liberals have said that's absolutely false, that is absolutely not true. And the Liberals have said that they're going to balance a budget in 2019, and the Liberals have said that uh, they've said a lot of things, and I think the Canadians know that whatever they say, they can't be trusted, they can't be believed. So you stand by that? I absolutely stand by that. This is not in the Liberal platform. This is being vehemently denied by the Liberals, yet uh, these ads are going out and Andrew Scheer has not disavowed them. And so, so the Conservatives are, are playing, a, I would say, a fairly vicious game, in part because they want to unseat a very popular cabinet minister. Charlie Smith is the editor of the Georges Strait and has been covering Vancouver politics for 30 years. Well, I think it's fun because it's a rematch of the 2015 election when Harjit Sajjan was the, the newcomer with the Liberals, the star candidate that 
Justin Trudeau had recruited, the military hero, commander of the BC Regiment, former police officer, and running against the incumbent Wei Young. And Harjasajan won by over 6,500 votes. And it was part of the Trudeau landslide. Now Wei Young is back for another attempt. Um, she's a very fiery and dynamic campaigner, and I don't think she should be underestimated. Vancouver South is culturally rich and diverse. It's famous for the annual Vaseki Parade, a celebration of South Asian culture and one of the largest of its kind in North America. In addition to a large South Asian population, 40% of people in this riding identify as ethnically Chinese. 80% are visible minorities. We've got a mixture of every sort of, in, in, this, in this neighborhood, we have every kind of community here. We have a lot of like, we have grocery stores, we have banks, we have great foods, we have everything. So we have a lot of, lot of different nationalities in this neighborhood. It's a great neighborhood. Like the rest of Vancouver, owning a home here is out of reach for the average worker. For example, this teardown is currently listed for $1.3 million. Older homes like these used to provide more affordable housing, but many are being demolished and replaced by newer million-dollar apartments. And yet this is also a riding where one in five children live in poverty. And this community has the lowest rate of childcare spaces available for kids under three in Vancouver. People don't think that there's an issue with poverty in South Vancouver because you, you know, see tree-lined streets and big homes and whatnot. But the reality is that there's a lot of people living in basement suites. There's a lot of um, immigrants and refugees who are coming in who are quite vulnerable. Uh, it's a big transient population, so people come in for a little while and then they move out to other parts of um, Metro Vancouver. So they're kind of falling through the cracks. They're not connecting into supports that they need to actually integrate into Canada and thrive. Massive development is underway on what was government-owned land in the southeast, which will create some affordable homes along with market housing. Co-op housing is also being built for single parents and seniors, but they're private co-ops and they're expensive. So uh, just kind of near the River District, uh, they built a new co-op down there where the minimum income is $95,000 and it costs about $2,500 a month to rent. It's considered affordable housing. So you can't even get into it unless you're making $90,000? You can't get into it unless you're making $95,000. Hi, how's it going? Hey, good. How are you? Sean McCullin, NDB Canada. How are you doing? Great. So you live in the co-op here, right? Yes, I do. Yeah. So affordable housing obviously is really important on your list. Sean McQuillan is running for the NDP. He says affordability is a top priority. So the NDP here are planning on building 500,000 affordable housing units across the country. But also I think what we really need to focus on along that is making sure we have legislation that extends our current co-op housing to protect it. Because right now, a lot of people think they're going to lose their homes, they're going to be knocked over for these luxury co-ops. And that's not something the community desires. People just want homes. They want somewhere they can live. We are in the heart of co-op housing in Vancouver. Okay. And it is absolutely gorgeous. It is absolutely beautiful and it is affordable. When people think about Vancouver, they may think of empty homes, they may think of high rises, but this is a gem in the corner of the city. And the government the federal government has not invested in co-op housing for a very, very long time. 
and the Green Party would like to see more and more. Green Party candidate Judy Zykowski says this community of co-ops was a real success story. The problem is the last two federal governments haven't funded any new co-ops. The Green Party wants to put more money into co-op housing. There hasn't been any for, I think, over 25 years, and we're looking to put 25,000 new developments of co-op housing on the market with funding that way. In Vancouver? Uh, I'm, no, uh, across the country. Okay. But uh, this is what you get. You get a beautiful, affordable place to live, and uh, it's not a bank, it's a home. About 27,000 seniors live in the city of Vancouver, a third of them in the Killarney district of the riding, including 89-year-old Tom Holmes, who struggles to pay his health bills. When you're on a limited income like us, it's very difficult. So how much does that cost you a month for all your meds and stuff? At least 500 a month for medication. Wow, 500 a month? Well, oh yeah, at least because I have medication, you know. Yeah. So how do, you, how do you afford that? Well, I live off my pension, and uh, fortunately, my wife was um, uh, worked for the city of Vancouver, so she had a pension plan that covered a lot of the things. But, but uh, medication is really a so important issue. The NDP uh, is promising a national pharmacare yes, program. Is that very appealing to you? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, and uh, you know, uh, I don't hear any other party talking about it. You're going to vote? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. I always vote. And who are you voting for? I'm voting for Sean McQuillan here, the NDP candidate. So by creating a national pharmacare program, um, all the research says it actually is a money-saving thing. So we're the only uh, country that has universal health care that does not have a universal pharmacare program in the entire civilized world. And with pharmacare, it's something that you do a lot of preventative medicine. If people are uh, able to take their prescriptions, if they're able to afford to take their prescriptions, even something as simple as insulin, um, they're able to stay in a healthier shape and not end up in the hospital. And it works out for if you have a $15 a day pill versus say a $1,500 a day hospital bed. Right? So if people are, we're going to pay that in our current system if they end up in the hospital. It's much smarter to pay it in preventative care. And it's estimated to save about $6 billion a year. The Liberals have promised to introduce a national pharmacare program. And Harjeet Sajjan says Liberal policies have helped with affordability in this riding. You know, this middle class riding, uh, it's um, uh, the average medium income for this riding is, uh, is less than the provincial average. And so the Canada Child Care benefit that we brought in as a government had a massive impact uh, for families, right? Mm -hmm. um, on average right now, the average monthly uh, uh, tax-free uh, check that the families get is about $560 per family. Mm -hmm. And that has a significant impact. Where you had checks going to millionaires before, right? This now allows us to focus strictly on the people that need it most but it has an impact to grow the economy. The Liberals also plan to build 500 new affordable housing units in Vancouver South and impose a speculation tax on non-residents. Affordability is a significant issue uh, here in Vancouver and especially here in Vancouver South. 
So one is help, uh, first of all, helping kids um, as they get older, making sure that they're not burdened with debt um, going into, into the market and our, our increased support for the student grants, uh, not having to pay uh, uh, the student loan down until you start making $35,000. And then direct impact of trying to cool down the market was so that we're going to, the speculators from outside of Canada who are not Canadian, taxing them. Judy Sykowski grew up in this riding, obtained a PhD in marketing, spent some time in Europe, and observed how to make life more affordable while reducing food waste. In this riding, well, uh, gee, there's so many things that one person can make a difference. And the things that I'm passionate about are a change in food policy for the government. Uh, I've lived in Europe for some time, uh, different times, and uh, different European countries have done things about food waste. Things, uh, Finland for example, at 9 o'clock in Finland at the grocery stores it's like happy hour. You can go and buy best before things that they're about to throw out for less than 50% off the price. Uh, France has uh, paired with uh, many uh, sort of non-profit organizations. If a grocery store is over a certain square footage, they must have a link with uh, another organization to pass their food off. Uh, so around food and how it's uh, distributed, there's lots of things that individual private members can do, which mm -hmm. are important to the lives of people. Mm -hmm. I mean, Andrew Weaver's been very good at the provincial level, bringing in some private uh, members' bills. So one person can make a difference. So we may be a small party, but we're a passionate party, and we can do these things uh, that help people. Well, obviously, the Conservative plan is that we will reduce the deficit and we will spend within our means, but we'll do so by cutting a lot of waste. We've seen with the Trudeau government in the last four years that they've taken a balanced budget, $6 billion in surplus, and brought us $71 billion into debt. So we need to balance, rebalance the budget. We need to do that in an, uh, an experienced and, a, um, I think, balanced way. And that's really important uh, for Canadians and certainly important to people I'm talking to at the doors because nobody wants to saddle their grandchildren with debt, which is exactly what's happening. So you're not quite sure who you're going to vote for? Yeah, I'm confused between the Liberals and NDP. Uh -huh. yeah. What do you think is the most important issue? Uh, right now, I think uh, global warming is the most important thing because uh, I, Elizabeth May, she was the only one in the debate who was talking about it and everyone seems to ignore that except NDP, Jagmeet Singh uh, agrees with her. Yeah. So I think that is the major issue right now. And taxes as well. Taxes is always there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so that's the thing. So will you be voting? Uh, yeah, I will be, but okay. let's see. Yeah. Can I ask you, will you be voting in this election? Uh, yes. yes. But but most likely I'll follow her opinion. <laughs> uh, what she suggests. What she says. Right. Okay. Well, I I was talking to my daughter the other the other night about uh, about the candidates and what the parties stand for, and I always wish I could pick little pieces from each of their from each of their pies to take because I I like. Uh, the fiscal conservatism. I like being aggressive on environmental issues. I like the liberal stance on inclusivity, and I like the focus on health care. Are you going to vote? Yeah, I vote already. Oh, you voted yes, already? Today. Oh, yeah. So, do you want to say who you voted for? Uh, conservative. Uh -huh. Yeah. And why was that? Uh, it just. I think most of the stuff that they do probably 
is helping us. So, yeah, uh -huh. personally. So that's why I voted. Okay. Yeah. Good, thanks. And what about you? Can I ask you? Sure, what's about? What do you think is an important issue in this election? I think the general economy. Uh -huh. Yeah, and I, to, to be honest, I think we should get that pipeline built. Like it should be an, it's a national issue. Uh -huh. So I know environment is important and whatnot, but we should consider other provinces as well. So I think that's a big issue. Like housing affordability, it's kind of important, but I think currently there's correction already. So uh -huh. it's not that bad. Uh -huh. yeah. And you feel strongly about the pipeline. So well, among all the different issues, I think economy in Canada as a whole is important. So whatever that could help us, mm -hmm. it's important, yeah. Uh -huh. So who would you be voting for? I don't know yet. You don't know yet? Yeah. Wow. Who's... I think it's going to be between the conservative or the liberal. Yeah. So it sounds like you haven't made up your mind yet. Basically, yeah. What I'm, do you think's going to swing it? Well, the candidate. My, the candidate in my riding will swing it for me. I, I'm going to vote on, the, on that person and their rec record. And I'm not going to be a strategic voter with, uh, like, on the on the federal scale. We hear so much from people about climate change in this election. Are you worried about that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, just look at the weather in Vancouver the last, you know, decade. So since my daughter was born, you know, the summers. So this year, everyone's like, oh, it's such an unusual summer. It's like, no, actually, this was the normal summer before, you know, things started to change so much with the hot, dry. So and it, it's like people have such short memories, people have forgotten that already, that it's, it wasn't an abnormal summer. If anything, that should, that should have been the normal summer. Even if we look at um, the Liberals who are, like Justin Trudeau is in power right now at the moment, and that whole thing where he went on the climate rally, but he's in power, so why is he protesting against himself? Like it just seems like, it, anyway, it, it seems like a lot of parties, they're either avoiding the question or they're paying lip service to it and not really addressing. Well, what about the Green Party? They've made that a key part of their platform. I mean, I guess we'll see, right? I, again, a lot of this, especially, like that's the difficulty with election season is that when people are making these promises, especially around October, it's difficult to discern if that's a, if that's something that they actually care about or if it's to appeal to popularity. Yeah. yeah. Well, how important do you feel the youth voice is in this election? Pretty important. I mean, we're we're living here. <laughs> we, we're the next generation. Grow. We're gonna have to grow up with those policies in place and that sort of thing. So, yeah. I think it's pretty important that youth are in, really involved in the election and that sort of thing. Well, the Green Party has a plan. That plan is for zero emissions by uh, 2050, and that plan is fully costed, and that plan uh, involves a great deal of transition from, uh, from workers, from fossil fuels to solar energy, and a retraining of people. So we're, we're very committed to uh, to completely uh, changing to the 21st century. Hello, I'm Yang Ziwei Team One Guanam. In the final days of the campaign, the candidates are trying to reach as many voters as possible. Harjit Sajjan is now also distributing new flyers in Chinese. 
to try to counter all the false information. This is what you're handing out at some doors. Yeah, because there's been misinformation and lies being pushed out by the Conservatives and, and my opponent. And so what we were doing here is showing exactly what those lies are, but also to show how, um, uh, in, in the Chinese language, that uh, media have reported saying, no, those are lies, right? Rather yeah. than put fear out there uh, and try to get somebody's vote, what we want to do is showing, you know what, this is what we have done, this is what we'd like to do, and let them make an informed, informed decision. Yeah. He's a good human being. In Vancouver South, this is Catherine Pope reporting for CPAC.